You are listening to the You Are a Lawyer podcast. I am the podcast host, Kyla Donano, a 2015 law school graduate. This podcast was created to share the experiences and successes of law school graduates who created their own paths to career success. In episode 47, I am speaking with a DEI executive and lawyer. This guest uses her legal background to create diversity, equity, and inclusion strategies for a global consulting brand. Based in Washington, D.C., today's guest is Jaya Saxana. So welcome to the podcast, Jaya. Thank you, Kyla. Glad to be here. Yes. Would you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I often begin by telling people a little bit about my personal background, because I do believe our personal lived experiences shape the way we view the world. Mm -hmm. So I am a mom of two young girls. They are four years old and eight. I am a former lawyer. I intentionally don't say recovering lawyer because I very much enjoyed the practice of law, which I'm sure you'll hear about. Um, And I did end up transitioning out of the practice of law after about five years, which I'll again, share a little bit more about. I'm also South Asian. So I'm the daughter of immigrant parents. My parents were born and raised in India and immigrated to the United States in the seventies. So that's a very formative um, part of who I am and my background and my identity. All of these things influence how I view the world and have certainly influenced the decisions I've made regarding my career over the years. Professionally, I went to college at Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And I also have my master's in public management from their Heinz School and ultimately ended up going to law school and uh, getting my law degree. So that takes me to about 2005, which is when I graduated from law school. Okay. What did you study in undergrad? So at Carnegie Mellon, I was a double major in policy and management and history and policy. So a very heavy sort of history and and policy Mm -hmm. focus. The interesting thing about Carnegie Mellon is that it's a very quantitative based school. For those who may be familiar at all with CMU, it's very much started as a technical university. And what I studied, while not in the computer science or engineering realms, there was still a very heavy foundation in quantitative skills. Um, So in addition to the heavy emphasis on quantitative skills, it was also interdisciplinary, which is something that I very much appreciate, especially now looking back on on my time there. Mm -hmm. You were at the Heinz School for Public Management? Right. You know, Carnegie Mellon has an interesting, or at the time, I think they still do, an interesting five-year program where you can get a master's in public management in five years. Okay. You add on an additional year and that course, which was something that appealed to me when I was looking at schools and that program in particular really imparts traditional management skills for future leaders. So thinking about program evaluation, financial analysis, courses that really set you up to think about management. Okay. So did you find that educational background that it was a good foundation for law school? You know, that's a really interesting question because I, people go to law school, certainly when I went and I started in 2002, so it was quite a bit of time ago, but people came to law school with such varying backgrounds Mm -hmm. and degrees And so it definitely was a natural sort of path for me to go into law school based on that coursework. 
I think there's so much you can do from an undergraduate degree perspective that could lend itself to being a law student. So when I worked in law school administration, not too long ago, you know, I saw students who came in with such varied backgrounds and degrees. I mean, certainly there were a lot of poli-sci majors, Mm -hmm. but it was really anything and everything that you could think about. So it was a natural evolution for me. And it certainly didn't hurt, but I'm very mindful that you can go to law school with such a varied background, Yeah, which actually makes for a very interesting experience, I think. (laughs) And I'm still stuck on public management because that seems like such a broad subject, but were your professors or counselors pushing you towards a certain profession with a public management degree? No, it was a very interesting arrangement that I had where, so at my fifth year, I enrolled in a fellowship program called the Coro Fellowship in Public Affairs, which Mm -hmm. is a fantastic program that I highly recommend. It's basically a nine month experiential learning program where fellows are placed in a rotation of, in a rotation of um, mini internships in in a variety of sectors. While you do that program, you also have an opportunity to get your master's. Okay. So what I did is after graduating college, so four years, I graduated, I did this fellowship program and that helped me to get, not only develop experience in a variety of sectors, but also obtain a master's. So it was that combination of experience that led me to do that in five years. All right, cool. Right. So where are you originally from? I'm from the DC, Maryland suburbs. So I grew up in Silver Spring, Maryland, um, right outside DC and left for college and law school and came back in 2005. And I've been here since. Okay. So from DC, Maryland area, and you went to school in Pittsburgh and then you went to law school in North Carolina. Yep. UNC law. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And what was that like being at UNC? So my law school experience was very interesting and unique. The summer before I went to law school, so this is summer of 2002, my mom died. So I was in my early 20s and had this major loss. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I I had actually deferred a year. UNC at the time would, like many law schools, was taking your combined LSAT score. Okay. So I ended up for a number of reasons. Um, going the fall of 2002. And I was attracted to UNC because it's strong commitment to pro bono and public service. That was something that I, you know, was really, really drawn to. Of course, it's division one school, which was also exciting to me. (laughs) (laughs) But I did go months after my mom had died. And I didn't know anyone in North Carolina, brand new experience, didn't really know much at all about law school. Now we're sort of getting into that first year of law school, which in and of itself can be very challenging for Mm -hmm. many different reasons. So that first year was incredibly difficult, but I knew, and I still know, even though I don't practice now, that it was a really meaningful experience for me. It was a huge transition. I actually did a program the summer before to help rising law students or folks who are starting law school to sort of expose them to what it's like to be in law school. How do you look at a case or how do you read a case? Really the basics of being a 1L. 
Mm-hmm. And that was helpful, but it was an incredibly difficult time for me that transition into law school. And then that first year of law school. Yeah. I'm sorry for your loss. That's it's never easy. No, thank you for that. Did you find yourself making friends in the pre-law program as well as getting prepared for law school? Or do you think that it really did help you when you were a student? I mean, it was definitely helpful in the sense that I really did not know mm-hmm. what a case book looked like or what I was looking for when reading a case. You yeah. know? And so the opportunity to get exposure to how to read a case, the fact that there is a process for reading and what you're looking for when you read. And of course, we know 1L coursework is predominantly, if not entirely, casebook classes. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, it was helpful to get that exposure a little bit earlier on and not just the first day of law school. To this day, I remember one of my pre-orientation friends is still a good friend. So I certainly had exposure to people, but I will say that my mind was in such a different place because of what I had just experienced with my mom, that no matter what, my mindset was not where I would have wanted it to be. And that affected my whole entire 1L experience. But I do think that having that earlier exposure and getting to know some people that I would be in classes with was definitely helpful. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. Um, I asked that because I did a pre-law thing at Case Western Mm -hmm. and my best friend went with me and I was just enthralled. You know, I was like, of course, because I wasn't a real student. So I'm like staring all googly eyed, like, oh my gosh, what is this? And I'm writing notes and she's looking at me like, are you kidding me? Like, I am miserable. She's in counseling and public education. So she was like, what? How are you even following what they're saying? So I was, I was just wondering. <laughs> yeah, no, just even being able to step foot inside the law school, right? The program mm-hmm. was, and you actually went to the law school. So you got to see, you know, what the law school is like. You got to yeah. be in the classrooms and just, again, just having that exposure when you really don't know mm-hmm. what you're getting into fully, I think makes a big difference. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, it's, it's good to hear that your experience, your, you found your experience to be helpful too. <laughs> it was. It was nothing like when I was actually a student because then right. I was, oh gosh. That's but yeah. Difference. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So in your questionnaire, you mentioned you kind of felt a little bit of pressure to do something like go to law school, you know, do something a little bit more with your education. Was that a pressure from your family? So a couple things. I knew, or at least I thought that a legal education would give me the tools that would help me effectuate change as effectively as possible in the ways that I wanted to. I mean, I went to law, I I was very committed to public interest work, pro bono work, social justice. So I knew that I felt at the time that a legal education would really give me the tools that I needed to pursue work in those spaces. And I would say to your point, there was probably some element of cultural pressure to pursue a reputable or prestigious graduate degree. My sister's a physician. My mother was a physician. My dad's an engineer. Coming from a family and a culture that is really very focused on education and hard work and, you know, advanced degrees and and all of that. I, I do think there was probably some small element of cultural pressure and needing to get an advanced degree of some sort. And I knew I wasn't going to go to med school and there were a lot of things I could rule out. So I do think to some extent there was this notion of this is what I should do. 
Although it wasn't entirely that. I do think that based on all that I knew about what a law school could provide for me in terms of the skills and the critical thinking and all of that, I did feel like it was a good route. But I want to also be honest with myself and saying there was probably some element of cultural pressure as well. I know there's a lot of people who go to law school because either someone tells them, even in an offhanded comment, you know, hey, you'd be a great lawyer. You should be a law student. And then it kind of sticks with them and stuff. So. I definitely heard a lot of that working in law schools where, you know, this sense of um, people who would say, you know, people told me all the time that this is something I should do. Mm -hmm. Um, So there are, I think for different people, there might be different pressures or expectations. And for me, my culture played a role in that. Um, Although again, I, I'm glad I made that decision. And I do think it has helped me throughout my career. Um, especially now, you know, 20 years later, I can look back and see how it has been a part of everything I've done, or I've used those the skills that I learned at the time in a lot of the different opportunities I've pursued over the years. Yeah. I mean, cause we can't turn it off, right? You're always gonna carry with you the education that you took from law school. Exactly. Um, and even just the way of thinking, mm-hmm. um, the way uh, we, you know, maybe the way we communicate in certain instances or situations certain aspects of the experience become so ingrained in who you are that it surfaces in different ways, even mm-hmm. if you're practicing law full-time. Yeah, it does. So I have an LLC, which mm-hmm. hosts the podcast and people always ask me like, so why do you run your podcast like a business? I'm like, I, I didn't mean to, I run it like a lawyer. <laughs> I knew I wasn't going to not have an LLC. I knew I wasn't going to keep receipts of things I did. You know, I was like, I can only say that I got that from law school. I don't know where else I would have gotten that stuff from, you know? It bleeds right. into everything. So no, it really does. <laughs> In a good way. Some some negative ways, but mostly right. good ways. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I can see the, the way it helps and the way people can get frustrated by that too. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So Jaya, you currently work in DNI, which is diversity and inclusion. And I know that you worked in a law firm in a DNI department as well. Was yeah. that immediately after you stopped practicing after those five years? No. So I practiced for about five years in Maryland. And when I left the practice, I went to go to work in healthcare policy okay. uh, work and to address some systemic issues in the healthcare system. And right around that time, I enrolled in a health and wellness coaching program. And I always joke with folks that I was my first client because I basically spent that year in the coaching program, coaching myself. And it was through that experience that I came into this space of law school administration, Hmm. where I worked initially um, as doing a lot of career and professional development work with law students. That's what I initially started to do. And then that evolved into leading a law school's uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts. Okay. And that is where I really started to immerse myself in what it meant to be a DEI professional or practitioner, how to work across the law school with different departments to think about a variety of issues, including how we broaden our talent pipe or our student pipeline coming in, how we set students up for success, how we help students, particularly those who are historically underrepresented or marginalized to 
enter the profession and achieve success. So from there, it's, it really just took off into being recruited to join a global law firm to be a senior member of their DEI team. Okay. Um, it's not linear at all. You know, my career path is, is not linear. It wasn't planned in this way. DEI as a profession is fairly new. Mm-hmm. So this none of, none of this could have been anticipated or expected when I was in law school. So it's really interesting to see how my career has has evolved over time. And I think it reinforces this idea that career paths more often than not are not linear. Yeah, they definitely aren't. And I think if we knew that from the beginning, it would probably scare us. (laughs) But right, they definitely are not. Right. I think a lot of people go to law school with this vision or picture. I mean, I certainly went to law school thinking I was going to be practicing. I what might not have known exactly how or in what context or setting, mm-hmm. but the idea was that I would practice law. Yeah. And of course, now that I've shared my trajectory, I did do that, but then I've done a number of other things. And so I do think oftentimes it's, I'm going to go to law school and do X or do Y. And you know, if we're open to opportunity and to possibilities, oftentimes our career will take us in very different directions, often in a very good and meaningful way. Yeah, absolutely. I find that distinction with you not saying that you're a recovering lawyer, because that tends to be really negative, but it's really hard for you to be done with, with being a lawyer, with that part of your life. So, you know, mm -hmm. people have very differing views or ideas or perceptions of what it means to be a lawyer. I think there are so many lawyers who do very, very, very meaningful, good work, not just in the public interest, but in the private sector. And, you know, I personally found my experience to be, while it was challenging and difficult, and I don't want to sugarcoat it, I learned tremendously. I grew personally, professionally, Mm -hmm. the skills that I've gained have translated into almost everything I've done. So for me, it was a really valuable time of my life and a very meaningful experience. And I don't regret it. Now, that's not to say everyone has that same experience. I know there are plenty of people who might say to others, don't go to law school or didn't have a meaningful experience, or maybe didn't even take the bar, maybe never even practice, right? I think every experience is so unique and different, Mm -hmm. but I'm pretty intentional in not saying recovering lawyer for those, because I do think it was valuable for many reasons. And I do think there's a general sort of negative reputation or perception that often follows lawyers, which, you know, isn't always (laughs) fair representation because so many lawyers are doing good work. Yeah. Our profession has a a kind of negative history, you know, we're the butt of jokes. So Mm -hmm. it is what it is. Um, (laughs) So what was it about doing D&I from the law school side that made you decide to get into a law firm when you were at White and Case, you were in their D&I department as well? Right. So, I mean, a lot of this wasn't planned. I mm-hmm. was really looking at DEI issues or so diversity, equity, and inclusion issues in legal education. And specifically, again, working, thinking about it from an admissions standpoint, thinking about it from a student affairs perspective. Again, how are we supporting our students who are generally underrepresented in profession? What does that also look like in terms of their experience in the classroom and the institution? And then also looking at how can we best support them to be successful when they embark upon their legal careers. And while I was at the law school, I started getting a lot of phone calls to be recruited to join any number of organizations that were hiring for DEI roles. I'm sure you've seen there's been a trend in recent years Mm -hmm. uh, 
um, for a, a real demand for people to do DEI work in some capacity at a variety of organizations across different sectors. And so I started getting a lot of phone calls. I'm a firm believer in being open to conversation. I never really thought that I would end up going to a global law firm. And I, for a, a number of different reasons, including my sense of the firm's commitment to DEI, I knew my former boss, I, I knew a bit about what the firm had done in this space. And it just seemed like a really interesting opportunity to really explore how a global organization, I mean, that was another thing that was really appealing to me, being a part of a global organization, because I think oftentimes when we talk about DEI in the US, it is in the historical construct uh, of the United States, which yeah. makes a lot of sense. But I was also very curious to think and, and explore how these issues surface in other parts of the world. So for a lot of reasons, it was a really good move for me. And I had, I spent almost three years there, learned a lot, really saw the firm grow in a number of different ways around their DEI efforts. And then again, was faced with phone calls about opportunities. <laughs> and it's, it's, you know, I think as we advance in our career, Oftentimes opportunities surface when we least expect them to. And so I started getting a lot of phone calls. It was also at the time, to be honest, when it seemed like every organization wanted a DEI person, addition to their team, et cetera. So I was being very careful and asking a lot of questions because I think it's really important to do this work in an organization that's really committed where it's not a check the box exercise. Mm -hmm. And so I asked a lot of questions um, where I work now, while it's not a law firm, it's, you know, an economic consulting firm that operates largely within the context of the legal industry. So it's not, I'm not entirely removed from legal professionals, but certainly a connection that I have and an industry as a whole where, you know, just like with the law, we, we have a lot to do to create change, both in the legal profession and the economic space. I mean, these are professions and industries where for many, many years, we have been slow to make progress on DEI issues. Mm-hmm. So again, really thought of this as a new and exciting opportunity to help lead their efforts, create the strategy, build a team, all of that. Again, but and again, none of it was really planned in that way. It was really me being open to possibility and open to different opportunities. Yeah. Well, my immediate reaction is it's very cool that you kept getting these offers while you were currently in a job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, that's pretty cool. It, it was probably really flattering too. Like, hey, I see you're doing a great job there. I'd love to have you here. I mean, I often would tell law students this. There's a oftentimes it feels like we may not have control or even lawyers and law firms. When I was at the firm, it often may feel like we don't have control over our career, right? We're applying Mm -hmm. for something. We're putting it out into the universe. We don't, it's up to someone else, whether they see value in us or not. And I do think it's helpful to think about what is it that we do have control over. And so part Mm -hmm. of what I started thinking about over the years was, you know, what is my brand? Who is it that I want to be? Not just what do I want to do, but What kind of person do I want to be? What are the values I want to convey to the world that are important to me? How do I want to be perceived out there in the universe of the internet? What do I want people to say about me if they meet me? And so I started to really work intentionally on building that up and trying to really think about who am I when it comes to my professional identity, 
not just what I do. And I think as I started to do that more and more, people started to notice. Yeah. Uh, and so that's something I do have control over. Mm-hmm. And, but I, I agree with you. It's, it's very fortunate. And it's a time where organizations have been forced to really step up and think about what does DEI mean for them and what role do they want to play? And so there's also been a tremendous amount of opportunity and there are also a lot of really great people out there doing this work. So yeah. I think it's, it's all of those things. Um, but I, I, I will say from my perspective, it really helped me feel empowered when I could focus on what is it that I have control over? So, yeah, I love that. What is it that I have control over? Because there's a lot of stuff that we whine about that we, is out of our control, but what can you control? I like it. Right. I mean, especially in law school, right? I mean, I met with hundreds of law students who are applying to jobs and waiting, right? You send out like a hundred resumes or cover letters, and you're just sort of waiting when things go into the abyss of, of the pool. And it can be disheartening. Or even mm-hmm. once you've graduated it can, and you're in a job search, it can be really disheartening. And you people, and then, you know, you get rejections and all of that happens. So to me, I'm always a firm believer in sort of thinking about what is it that we can do? How can we empower ourselves to take control or have ownership over the career that we want? And that's something I talk to people about oftentimes, not just law students, but even lawyers or people looking for career changes. It's really thinking about how can I be the driver to some extent of my career? Yeah. And I'm sure you use that a lot. Right now, you're the director of diversity, equity, and inclusion at the, is it Brattle Group? Yep. At the Brattle Group. Group. Okay. And so in this role, you said you deal with diversity and inclusion processes, collaborating with internal and external stakeholders. What do you enjoy about that role, being the director of diversity, equity, and inclusion? So there's a lot that I really enjoy about this Mm -hmm. work. I mean, it's certainly part of it is always learning. I'm an eternal lifelong learner. If I could be in school forever, I probably would. (laughs) Maybe not. Maybe I would (laughs) take that back. But I do, I have a curiosity to learn myself and others. And I think that is something that is really important in this space because we never really master DEI. Mm-hmm. It's an ongoing journey and evolution about learning about ourselves as individuals, our own biases, our own experiences that have shaped our perspectives and views about the world, and then also learning about other people. So for me, I love this work because I am constantly learning and reading and just having new insights. I also really enjoy seeing or experiencing how this work can have a direct impact on someone's lived experience in this sense, in in this context in the workplace, like hearing from people who have somehow been impacted uh, in a positive way, or maybe even in a challenged way where their views are being challenged, Mm -hmm. you know, sort of compelled to think about things differently. To me, that's really exciting. And so the people aspect of the work is something that I really value. And then of course, in this role, it's really being able to help build, help create strategy, help set the course of how we proceed in this work. So those are all things that I, I mean, I could speak forever and a lot more on on why I find this work to be so rewarding because to be honest, you have to find what it is you value in this work because it's not easy. Yeah. And it takes a good bit of patience and perseverance to see really sort of transformational change take place. And so 
for those who don't know, is diversity and inclusion a subset of HR or do you guys work parallel to each other? Are they intertwined at all? That's a really great question. There's no one size fits all for this okay. work um, or how organizations approach it. Um, many organizations, for some, they do um, sort of house, quote unquote, house DEI within an HR function or department, which, um, you know, I think is in large part because so much of this work is about rebuilding systems and structures and processes, much of which fall within HR. Mm -hmm. um, in other organizations, it's separate and apart from an HR department. Um, at the end of the day, no matter where you sit as a DEI practitioner, you are working cross-functionally with pretty much every other department in your organization. So whether okay. you're part of HR or whether you sit separately, um, you certainly work across function. I mean, in order to do this work well, you have to be partnering with different departments across your organization. Hmm. Um, and to me, what's most important is not so much sort of where you sit, so to speak, but do you, are you able to be a part of the conversations where certain decisions are being made, right? I think to me, what's most important is making sure if you're in this space or in this role that you are a presence in different types of conversations that are really critical. Yeah. So I think that's what's most important when I think about how to sort of set someone up for success in a DEI position in an organization. Okay. And I hadn't even considered that how this role is gonna be cross-functioning in different departments. So that's even broadened it up from what I was thinking about when I came into the interview, so. Yeah, I mean, one of the ways I view myself, very often will say that in a way I'm an internal consultant, right? In a way mm -hmm. I'm working internally in an organization across all functions and departments. So that's marketing and communications, that's business development, that's across different practices or groups, that's with different HR teams. So no matter what, I believe that in order to do this work well, you have to be working in relationship and in partnership with everyone else. Because at the end of the day, the goal is to really help other people bring a DEI lens to their work and their role. Yeah. So I really do view this as a collaborative effort. Okay. You can't see me, but I'm over here nodding my head like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> So just as a final question here, Jaya, is there anything that you would say to someone who is frustrated with their practice or a law student who is trying to think about what to do with their law degree when they get out of school? Oh my goodness, that's a really great question. Um, and I've certainly had a lot of conversations over the years with people who are experiencing those things. I mean, one I would say is to really spend some time self-reflecting and really thinking internally about what's important to you, what do you value, what are you good at, really taking some time to look inwards, because I think a lot of times we get influenced by the external, mm -hmm. um, we get influenced by what other people are doing, what other people are telling us, what other people are saying, and so just taking time to be quiet and look inwards to really think about what it is you need. What are your priorities? What's important to you in this moment? And maybe it's just at this time of your life and maybe that'll change in five years, but taking stock of that, I think is really, really helpful. And if you have the ability or the resources to have a coach or to talk to even to friends or others to get different perspectives, but first and foremost, doing that inner work, mm -hmm. which is the hardest, I think. So I would say that would be the first 
first thing. Another thing I would say is just really being open to opportunity and possibility. You know, when I first started practicing law, I was practicing in an area that I really didn't seem to be too excited about. And then as I learned more and more, I really ended up enjoying it. So, and I think third, you know, really just having conversations with people, you know, a lot of people talk about informational interviewing, but reaching out to people, if you, if you see folks who are doing things that sound fascinating or interesting to you, reaching out, asking folks to have a virtual coffee, right? And these days, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, just really exploring and talking to people. So, I mean, I was, I could probably keep going on with a list (laughs) or more than welcome to reach out to me, but those are some things that come to mind right away. Yeah, absolutely. Always reach out to people and do that deep digging to figure out what you really want. Those are great. Well, thank you so much, Jaya. Thank you, Kyla. So nice talking to you. Really appreciate your time and this opportunity. Oh, of course. And everyone, Jay's information is in the description bar. So you can have her Twitter handle in case you want to reach out to her, as well as her LinkedIn profile. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh-huh. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to You Are a Lawyer. While you are here, subscribe to the show, leave a rating, and tell a friend about this episode. New episodes are released every other Thursday. Thanks again for listening. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Bye.